Welcome to the Reminders of Grace podcast. The Reminders of Grace podcast exists to provide a reference for truth, promote a refocus on the gospel, and to provoke a profound reminder of grace for our lives today. I am your host, my name is Derek, and I want to welcome you to the show. It has been a minute. I want to thank you for your patience and your understanding as we have sought to prioritize and to realign focus, and in doing so, we have stepped away from this creative space for just a brief time. But we are back today for a very special interview episode, and I firmly believe that it will be a help and an encouragement to you. Our guest today is Beth Thompson. She and her husband, I had the privilege of meeting through one of my jobs, and it was clear right away that God orchestrated this intersection of stories. She is challenged, convicted, and been a consolation to me and my wife, primarily from a distance through her social media platform. And I know social media isn't always that way. I know that even if social media tends to be positive, it is more like a shot of epinephrine rather than a sustaining compliment to our lives. It's a quick dose here and there, and then we disengage and move on to the next thing before finding ourselves back at that well. However, that's not the case with Beth. Beth is the administrator of the page at simply underscore Bible. That's at simply underscore Bible. And I'll be sure to link that page in the show notes for you. It is exactly what it says. It is simply the Bible. And while I a thousand percent believe that this number is not in any way a benchmark for success or anything remotely like that, the page does hold a following of 21,000. And I mention it not because it matters, but because it really is rather indicative more of the fact that people just want the truth. People are desiring of something substantial, and because the focus of the page is on the Word and on Christ, they, we, we love it. So check it out and send her a message letting her know how you heard about it. Beth, thank you so much for joining us here on the Reminders of Grace podcast. I have been expectantly and excitedly anticipating our conversation together today, and I'm so glad that we're able to finally get this done. And so welcome in. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Why don't we start out by having you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, the story of how you came to follow Jesus, and maybe where that journey has you now. Sure. Yeah, my name is Bethany Thompson. I I'm a mother of two, and I've been married to my husband, Joel, now for 10 years. <clears throat> um, I came to know the Lord at a very young age. My parents were both believers, and my mom was super intentional about communicating the gospel to me and showing me what it looked like to worshipfully love and follow Jesus. So I responded to the gospel very young, probably before I could remember. Um, the first time I made a personal commitment towards following Christ is when I was six and I asked to be baptized and I had some pushback from my parents because they thought I was too young and I kind of had to prove myself a little bit that I was serious. Um, but that was a pivotal moment. I think for me, I really, uh, standing in front of a 
church of a few thousand people and having to tell all those people um, about Jesus and like why I loved him and why I believed in him was really solidifying for me. Um, and so ever since that moment, honestly, I have been attached to the person of Christ. <clears throat> and I say that because I walked away from the church a couple of times, but I never lost my relationship with Christ or my commitment to scripture. Um, and so it's been now I'm 32. So I've been a Christian now, I would say for 24 years and just um, growing every single day. There are obviously ups and downs and all the, all the in-betweens, but, um, mm. but yeah, that's kind of how I came to know the Lord and follow him. Hmm. That's really good. You mentioned walking away from the church a couple of times. Um, was there something or was there a series of some things that kind of led to that? I think, I, well, when I started reading the Bible, I was a young teenager and I was super passionate about understanding it and reading it and living it out. And I think as I started to read the Bible for myself, I started to be really disillusioned with the difference in from what I read in scripture versus what I saw in my church and with my Christian yeah. friends. So I thought to myself, you know, if the, if the gospel's true and if the Holy Spirit's real, why do people continue to live and behave and act as if God is not real as if mm. Jesus hasn't changed their life. Yeah. Um, I became very disillusioned with that. Um, my, both my junior high pastor and my high school pastor um, at the same church had affairs and mm. with different women, obviously, but that was also super disillusioning because I really looked up to these men and really thought that they were godly. And so that was really disillusioning. Um, yeah. It seems like my friends who are Christians um, didn't really have the same commitment uh, to following the Lord. And they were always challenging me to kind of not take it so seriously. So that was always a challenge for me as well. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of walked away from church for, I want to say three years. Um, and it's like around three years. But I ended up coming back because I found a church that was a practical church. They weren't okay. so intent about teaching theology. They were really intent on seeing people's lives changed. And hmm. that is what I wanted in a church. And it gave me hope to kind of come back and maybe see if it could be done differently or in a better way, I guess. Uh, I never lost my passion for theology. I still think theology is like extremely and incredibly important. Um, but I did notice that there was kind of like a toxic culture at my church that I grew up in that was very focused on theology, but not practical application because um, people's lives were just not changed. So they knew a lot, but they, they didn't change the way that they lived. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say that's kind of why I ended up coming back. It wasn't because I made the choice to come back to church. It was definitely because I found a church that kind of um, wanted to see people changed. And that was a big deal for me. That's really good. Um, you kind of started that off by explaining that <clears throat> you 
kind of learned these things and came to this conclusion by reading and studying the Bible, which kind of leads into the next question, because I have wanted to, to have you on, because in just the short time that we've known each other, I have been, and I know my wife would echo this in her life as well, so encouraged by you and your husband, and also kind of what you have passionately dedicated your social platform to in terms of Bible study and faith growth. And so with that in context, tell us kind of why and then a little bit of how you study. Yeah, I started studying the Bible out of pure passion. Um, I really wanted to understand it for myself because I came from a family. My parents were very biblically literate. They knew a lot about the Bible and they were always using scripture to kind of tell me what I could and couldn't do. And that always frustrated me because I felt like they were trying to manipulate me by using scripture. So mm -hmm. I wanted to know it for myself so that I could either um, argue with them, which sounds kind of bad, <laughs> but so I could kind of either argue with them and tell them, no, you're wrong. Like that's not in the Bible. You're manipulating me. Um, or, okay, if they're right, you know, I want to understand this so that I don't yes. really hate my parents, honestly. So there was a mixture of motivations there. Um, and I had recently gone through some really awkward, you know, junior high, super awkward and everyone's so mean. And I had kind of gone to the point where I realized that um, I needed Jesus in order to find the fulfillment that I desired and craved um, and that I had been looking for in friends. And so I really started to read scripture at the end of eighth grade. And I did so for those reasons, but it really grew into a very intense passion. And I okay. would wake up and read. I, at the time, I would do like the classic dear reading, which was like read a chapter, reflect on it, maybe write a couple of yeah. notes down and then pray. Um, and so I did that for quite a few years. Um, I also loved to just read the Bible through kind of like a novel. Like I would just sit out in my backyard and just read it like it was a normal book and especially the old testament i loved reading the old testament that way and it was just a way that i could escape um no no god more um as i got older though and i started to get into theology i think that my motivations changed a little bit it's weird how theology philosophy can actually kind of detract from your emotional and spiritual experience of scripture because you start to analyze it and look at it differently but um, I kind of took that approach as I got a little bit older, started studying theology a lot more, wanted to understand the Bible as a cohesive whole, wanted to understand doctrine mm -hmm. and um, the different doctrines. You know, I grew up, I grew up um, Pentecostal when I was like super young. And then my parents switched to Baptist slash Mennonite. And um, that was really interesting. So I got yeah. a really diverse upbringing as far as denominations go and theological perspectives. Um, my parents were never fully subscribed to like one denomination. They were always like, well, these people believe this and th these people over here okay. believe that. And so I was yeah. always really interested in understanding how different Christians believed um, and what they believed and why they believed it. So that's kind of why I started studying theology and trying to understand the Bible that way. Um, and as I've gotten older, I've really just made it an effort to read the Bible through um, intentionally with a lot of careful thought to different commentators, different perspectives. Um, so that I feel like when you read uh, with many different teachers, you really get to the truth. Um, 
as opposed to just following like one, like um, for example, like um, if you're Catholic, you know, and you only read the Bible from a Catholic perspective, uh, you're probably going to miss out on like a broader perspective if you completely leave right. out a Protestant perspective. So that's kind of what I mean. It's like when you're in conversation with each other, I feel like you get so much more out of it. So that's kind of what I do now. I am right now going through the Torah. So I'm start, I'm in Genesis right now. I'm almost done. But when I read it, I approach it with what what's the narrative saying? And then what are the Jews saying about it? What have the Jews said about it? What has the Catholic Church said about this? What has the re Reformed tradition said about this? And then what does a new evangelical um, theologian said about this? So I try to look at it from maybe four or five different commentators or perspectives. And it's really interesting. You always dive, you can always experience it in a fresh and new way um, when you approach it that way. So I've really been enjoying that. And that's kind of how I study it now. And um, I haven't studied Greek or Hebrew yet, but at some point I would really like to do that yeah. as well. Yeah, that's really good. Um, you mentioned something, it was just super brief, but I wanted to to zoom in on it because you mentioned reading it like a novel. Um, and I've actually never really heard that before. So I'm curious, um, number one, where kind of where did you come to adopt that? But also, what is the benefit of reading it that way? Hmm. Yeah, you know, it wasn't something I did on purpose. It, I think as, as a young person, I thought this is a huge book. How do I get through this quickly? And so I figured, okay, the quickest way to get through this is to just read it. Um, and so that's what I did. I feel like when you read it quickly, or, you know, not quickly, but just you, you don't stop to like study words and, and all okay. the stuff that goes underneath it. You know, you just kind of read through it. Um, you just see the patterns and the similarities so much more clearly. Uh, for, for example, in the book of Genesis, which I'm reading right now, you see Abram, Isaac, and Jacob you see how they interact with God. You see the parallels between the three of them so clearly. You see repetitive phrases so clearly. When you stop and you focus on one chapter for like a day or even a, a week or whatever, or you're going verse by verse super slowly, you're going to start to neglect and forget what came before because you're going so slowly. Mm. Um, and yeah. so that was super helpful for me uh, to read it like a novel, to read it quickly. You really just get a broad understanding of the narrative as a whole and things pop out that would not pop out otherwise. And so it's a really fun way to do it too, because you get through the Bible so quickly and it's really, it, it can kind of um, fan the flame of your hunger for more. Uh, sometimes when you slow down, you're trying to get through the Bible, you can become discouraged because it's such a slow moving thing when you're reading two chapters a day or three chapters a day. I think the Bible yeah. in the year is like four chapters a day or something, but even still it's like, you it takes so long to get through it. It takes a whole year when it's like, you actually right. could read the Bible in five or six months if you just read it for 30 minutes a day. Um, hmm. And it just, you just get that sense of accomplishment, which I think makes you want to do it more. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's really good. Um, as you have done this and it just kind of already mentioned, you've got a social platform that's dedicated to it and it's different in the sense that it's not like a and every once in a while you post a picture of your bible um it's that's all you do um and it's 
kind of what the the heartbeat of your Instagram is about. And that's awesome. And I love it. And it's something that I benefited from. It's something I know my wife has benefited from in terms of her studying the Bible in a new way. And she's adopted and adapted to a lot of the things that you've kind of taught and you've um, kind of exemplified there on on that. And on your platform, you have something called like a Bible boot camp. And so what is kind of the goal behind that and like kind of an overarching view of it? Like, what does it look like? Yeah. So at the beginning of this year, I launched Bible boot camp. It was kind of an experiment um, just to see if people would want to read the Bible for three weeks. Uh, it was a commitment to read the Bible for three weeks for 30 minutes a day. And a lot of people signed up for it and were super excited about it, which I wasn't expecting. Um, but the goal of Bible boot camp is to teach yourself the habit of reading scripture and learning how to set aside the time necessary to understand the Bible. And for the first session of Bible boot camp, each week uh, we went through one of the gospels. And so you know, you wake up, you have your coffee, you sit down with your Bible and you read the book of Matthew for 30 minutes. And Tuesday, you do the same thing. Wednesday, you do the same thing. And because you're reading it as a chunk, you're reading it quickly like a novel. The idea is that maybe you read through the whole book of Matthew twice in one week. And okay. by doing that, you get to really experience Christ in a, um, in a personal way because you're seeing him move through the cities. You're seeing him perform his miracles. Um, and you're seeing him act and live and die and resurrect as as a normal story would present itself. Right. Um, and so every week we focus on a different book and uh, of the gospels. And that was really, really fun, um, really impactful. And it, for me personally, it really opened up my eyes to how important it is to commit to knowing Christ and being close to the person of Christ. And um, so focusing on the gospels for that amount of time was like, really, I'd never done that before. It was super impactful for me. I plan on doing more Bible boot camps in the future. Um, I'm partnering, I'm starting a website and I'll be partnering with some people to really make it an actual thing where we, uh, we can yeah. do it together. And um, there'll be different ways you can do Bible boot camp, different commitments, um, different goals and things like that. The other aspect that I loved about Bible bootcamp was the Sabbath aspect. I asked that everyone commit to taking a full 24 hour Sabbath. And for a lot of people, that was actually the most impactful part of the whole thing was it was taking a full day off, uh, off from work, off from cleaning, doing dishes, making your bed, like all of that for a full day, once a week. And it seemed like that was everyone's favorite part because the, in our culture and our society, we don't know how to stop. <laughs> and yes, rest. We're going so fast all the time. Um, and I think we forget that God has like commanded us to rest. So that was also a really fun part of it that I think made a big impact um, on people's lives. So that was like really cool. And I'm excited for the future. I hope that I hope that it, it goes well and that we get a lot of people joining, <laughs> joining again. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, 
you talked about teaching this habit of reading. So you're just going to go and you're going to sit down and you're going to read for 30 minutes and basically start to finish. You're going to read 30 minutes, however long or however much you get done, you're doing it for that amount of time. Um, as a question, like, is there, is there some like other like horizontal accountability that's built into that where people who are involved in it get to interact with each other and kind of like check up on each other? Or is it just kind of, this is something I'm committed to do here in my home? Yeah, we had a Facebook group and uh, we also had a Discord group and that was really fun. We did get to communicate. People got to post pictures and ask questions and post about what they read that day if they wanted to. Um, you know, it was definitely, you could tell like there were a lot of people who didn't necessarily want to post, but they were viewing and liking other people's posts. So um, there were probably a core of like 20 people that were posting all the time. And it seems like everyone else was like liking and looking at it and interested in seeing what other people were doing and what people read and stuff like that. Um, In the future, yeah, we're going to be doing Zoom chats once a week and things like that to kind of keep everyone together, um, giving people the opportunity to seriously and personally interact with each other to really get the most out of the experience so that you don't feel Mm -hmm. like you're alone. And I think that's one of the main reasons why people give up on Bible study and Bible reading in general is because they're doing it by themselves. They don't have the encouragement that they need to stay motivated. Yeah, that's really good, though. And as we kind of just shift gears a little bit from not away from the Bible, but away from kind of Bible study and into like some more practical Christian life things. Um, there's been a recent, I, I would say it's a recent, it may not be as recent as I think it is, but there's been, I feel like a recent rise in deconstruction as it pertains to the Christian faith. Um, I would say I have people that I went to Bible college with training and preparing for a lifetime of vocational ministry. And they've not just left, but many have rejected their faith altogether. And so maybe kind of walk us through, first of all, what is deconstruction? Well, deconstruction is literally just the deconstructing of one's faith. Um, you know, you're brought up when you become a Christian, wherever you're, wherever you're from, whatever church you go to, you became a Christian for a reason based on a set of beliefs that you were told or you were given. And so deconstruction is the dismantling of whatever beliefs you were originally given. So for one person, it might be a set of one set of beliefs. And for another person, it might be a completely other set of beliefs. Some people deconstruct not just their faith, but they're deconstructing maybe the church or the way the church interacts with secular culture or political culture. Like, you know, people deconstruct for very different reasons and they deconstruct different things. But yeah, I I think there has been a rise in it. Um, I think social media has probably contributed to that in some regard. because there's just a lot more access to people's stories. Mm-hmm. And so the the people who've left the church, um, maybe they want to talk about it, they get on social media and then more people find, um, find out about those stories or those reasons why someone left. And then, you know, it's kind of like a slippery slope type thing. Um, I don't think deconstruction is bad. I think deconstruction might be necessary um, for some people mm-hmm. in their walk of life. I know I had to let go of a lot of things that I was brought up to believe. Um, I grew up in a very reformed, um, kind of like Calvinist church, um, very legalistic church, despite the fact that it was Calvinist. Um, it's kind of ironic when you think about it. But um, yeah. it was just one of those spaces that 
when I read the Bible, I saw a disconnect. And so I was like, okay, I have to figure out what this is. I never lost my loyalty to Christ throughout all of my years of questioning. And so that's why I never lost my faith. Um, Cause I was like, no, I know Christ like came, he died, he rose again. Like regardless of for a period of time, I really doubted inerrancy. I really doubted a lot of stuff, but I never let go of that commitment to Christ himself. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people, when they start to deconstruct, they're kind of open to losing their faith um, or losing their faith in Christ specifically. And so that probably leads them down a little bit of a slippery slope or a rabbit hole. Um, some people want to lose their faith. I've seen that before too. Um, they are embarrassed by the church. They're embarrassed by Christianity. So they're kind of like, Oh, I like, let, let me, I want to get out of this, you know? And okay. so then they start to deconstruct literally with a desire to deconstruct and to leave. So everyone kind of comes with their own perspective and their own motivation. So it's not a one size fits all thing, but um, it is becoming more and more common. So I, I hope that the church in the future can prepare young people who grew up in the church, like well for their questions Um prepare people well for how to handle spiritual, physical, or emotional abuse in the church, like things like that, um, that really contribute to deconstruction. I I hope that the church can do better in the future and just preparing people to live in view of all the the messiness of the world Mm -hmm. and the church and stuff like that. Um, I I feel like right now, maybe most churches or most of us are not doing well at that. (laughs) Hopefully hopefully, uh, we'll learn from our mistakes and uh, (laughs) do better with the next generation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's been really interesting because I feel like when I hear about deconstruction, I hear about these faith loss stories. Um, you said something really interesting. Sometimes people are just looking for a reason to step out of it. And so they deconstruct and say, I'm stepping away from everything. But I imagine that the goal of it is not, it's not supposed to be I need to find a reason to walk away from Jesus. I think the goal of it is I want to find something or I want to at least get get rid of all the things that seem extra, the things that aren't biblical, the things that I believe and practice and the things that I, I think simply because I was told to think them, but they're not like completely grounded in God's word. And so because they're not, I want to just, let's just toss those things aside. Let's get rid of those things. But I imagine, like I said, just the goal is probably not to leave the faith altogether. Because while Christians have, are, are imperfect and people in the church have fallen into sin while they have chosen a lifestyle or chosen to do things that have hurt other people, I, I don't know that those things are reason enough for me to turn my back on on Jesus. And so within that deconstruction, how do you, what's kind of the best mindset to have in having a healthy balance of both of those things? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like I, I have a unique perspective uh, because my mom died when I was seven and I really truly felt like an orphan, even though I still had my dad, my dad's wonderful, but you know, she was kind of like the main nurturer in my life. So when she passed away, I felt like an orphan. And when you have an orphan complex as a child, like I've read about it from like psychology books and stuff or whatever, you really disassociate with the authority in your life. So you no longer look to that authority as an authority figure. You kind of filter everything through um, 
like they're all suggestions. Does that kind of make sense? So, so that's both a blessing and a curse. So for me, I found Christ on my, I feel like after my mother died, I really pursued Christ on my own. It was my own thing. I never felt like I was trying to conform to please a, a pastor or my family. Um, it was really all for myself and for my own relationship with God. So because I had that independence, my faith was less threatened when I came across really good atheist arguments um, and things like that, because I had chosen Christ for myself. Hmm. So I think that for a lot of people, they don't choose Christ for themselves. They really are kind of like manipulated into it or led into it from a parent or a youth pastor or a friend or something. And they never really chose Christ. They were kind of, they chose Christianity um, and didn't build that relationship with Christ himself. So then when the things started to happen to them or to their friends or in, in the world and the the Bible stops making sense or some things in scripture don't make sense, like there isn't that foundation to kind of pull you through all that. Um, okay. For me, I, I had the loyalty there and that carried me through. Um, but a lot of people start to deconstruct without that loyalty. And it's not because they're bad. It's just because oftentimes people aren't presented the gospel with a true choice. They really mm. do um, or are manipulated into it for some reason. Yeah. Um, a lot of people choose to become a Christian because they're afraid of hell or, you know, there are a multitude of reasons why people would become a Christian, but and not that God can't use that or whatever. It's just more like if it's not their personal choice to follow Christ and to, they don't latch their heart onto him, they're probably okay. more likely to lose their faith or doubt later on. Yeah. And so that's part of the reason why I want people to read the Bible for themselves so badly so that they can have a personal connection to the Lord and to scripture. So that way, when things, when doubts do come or questions come and they, people don't have answers for them, they know that the Bible has the answer if they mm-hmm. are willing to do the work and search for it. So, um, so that's kind of what my goal is in ministry is to hopefully prevent decon- like the, like a true deconstruction experience where someone truly loses their faith. Um, my, my goal is to kind of prevent that or um, in the midst of the doubts and the struggles and the questions, which are all good, um, to keep pushing through, to know that you can keep pushing through until you find that answer or you find the, the truth. Um, yeah. Because I feel like a lot of people go on those deconstruction journeys completely by themselves they don't have someone who's willing to sit with them in the midst of all their questions and their doubts. Um, and they slowly just move away. Um, and mm-hmm. like I said, deconstruction is not always a bad thing. Sometimes people find Christ in the midst of deconstruction. So, yeah. um, so that's what I would like to help people do <laughs> is to deconstruct in a way that brings them closer to Christ, closer to the truth. Um, and lets all of the mm-hmm. church culture stuff kind of, fade away. (laughs) That's really good. I think that that kind of in some way like segues to the next question I have for you, which is it's kind of focused on some ways that Christians have believed, have talked about um, certain important topics and um, Sometimes there are things that they are just kind of, we've always been told this is the way to believe and this is the only way to believe and any variation of this is incorrect and any variation of this is 
is against God, whether that's clearly from scripture or just like that's our interpretation or that's what tradition has kind of taught. So in light of that, in recent news, I think there has been a lot of talk of um, the Supreme Court moving towards the reversal of the landmark case of like Roe versus Wade um, that kind of made abortions permissible. Um, and that has seemingly brought a lot to the surface in more ways than one. And major kind of major moves like this, at least over the last like three years, major moves like this or like racial or social social justice, um, they they often do. And so I would love if you could share some of your thoughts or responses to this, as well as maybe next steps that Christians can take or that the, really that the church should be taking in response to this. Yeah, it's a, it, it's such a controversial subject. Um, I wish that we could have more cordial discourse over issues like this, um, especially with people in the secular public square, because Christians have discredited themselves often in the secular public square because they, they're not seeking to understand. So as far as Roe versus Wade goes, I mean, my my hope is that abortion would never need to happen. I, I feel like as a Christian, if if you read the Bible and you read Paul's mandate for men to love and honor the women in their lives, um, we can really, from my perspective, we can really see abortion as a as a failure um, of of men not protecting women well, um, mm. and instead of protecting women, you know, women have been taken advantage of so often that culture now has lost faith in fathers and, and men, um, not Christian culture, but secular culture at large, you know, and to me, that's, that's just heartbreaking. And I, I'm not sure if we can reverse the damage that's been done. Um, mm -hmm. I would also attribute it to the birth control pill, um, women wanting to have the same ability to sleep around without the consequences. Um, there's a lot of strife and discord between the between the sexes because men were able to do things that women just couldn't do because women would mm -hmm. get pregnant. Um, so I think there was a lot of jealousy in that and birth the birth control pill now allowed women to sleep around. It became more normal um, and pregnancy is now something that should be a choice, not something that is a consequence or a result of intimacy. And mm -hmm. so we've moved so far away from the vision that God had for families. Um, abortion has now become a necessary evil from the secular perspective, um, because without it, women are trapped and they don't mm -hmm. have the same rights and abilities as men. And so from a secular perspective, women and men must be equal in all things. Therefore, women should not have to have babies um, okay. if they don't want them. Um, I think Christians have a really hard time with that because we obviously view a baby as, as a soul, as someone who's created in the image of God. So right. we, when we think about abortion, we, we know that it's, it's, a, it's murder. You know, you're not just stopping a pregnancy or whatever like no you're, you're killing a soul you're killing someone who was made in the image of god and that's obviously a great and terrible sin um and something that should be mourned so it's a really controversial subject that's really sensitive because secular people just don't view it as murder 
And I think that's where we disconnect and we divide. Moving forward, my hope is that Christians could talk about abortion in such a way that people on the other side could understand that we don't intend to objectify or trap women, Um, Mm -hmm. but that instead we want to care for the women and the babies who are the result of promiscuity, essentially. Like that's the only word I can think of. Um, But because promiscuity is now like a, a thing that you're supposed to, supposed to do it's not even a question of whether or not you should involve yourself in multiple relationships with people it's it's how can you do all of that without having the consequences so as a christian you know i believe in foster care i believe in pregnancy centers you know christians to this day have done more for pregnant women than the government like ever has like mm-hmm. you go to any pregnancy center it's nine out of ten times funded by the church funded by christians you know taking women in giving them the support that they need to to fund their entire pregnancy to fund the birth of the baby oftentimes they they'll let women stay in these shelters for a year or two years after their baby's born i mean the church has done a lot for women who find themselves pregnant um mm-hmm. so i'm not saying the church hasn't done anything but my hope is that in the discord, in the public discord, we can start to really champion the care for women and children who are put in that place, as opposed to just trying to end abortion. Because right. just trying to end abortion hasn't gotten us very far right. in seeing true results. Um, and we've also been very against free birth control. Um, which has made things problematic as well. In the mm-hmm. South, I think they weren't giving birth control out in high schools um, until much more recently. I know in California, it's been happening for decades, but I think in the right. South, from what I recall, like it took them a long time to push for that. Um, so there are just certain things that we we don't want to admit that people don't want to be Christian. We don't want to admit that people aren't going to listen to us. We don't want to admit that abstinence is no longer a thing that people are going to follow. Um, we're still pushing right. for all of that, which is good for the church, uh, but maybe not for the secular public square because they're on right. a completely different level. So it's like if we want to reach people, we got to come in with the mentality and the, that we are going to care for women and children, that we're not trying to trap women, but we really want to bring love and life and support um, to the people who need it most. So if we could lead with that and then end abortion in the meantime, that would be like wonderful. Um, but you know, raising our fists and saying abortion must end right now. Um, and then feeling very successful and satisfied with that without considering the ramifications or how it's, how we're communicating the gospel to people on the public square. Um, that can be problematic, you know? Yeah, 100%. And I think you said a couple of interesting things. And I think what has happened is many Christians over the years have taken what they believe and they've taken maybe even their practices, um, whether that's the belief that the that abortion is wrong um, and then the practice of, like, like you mentioned, like abstinence. And they've just said, like, if you would just do this, and they've said that to a world that, 
has not been changed by the Spirit of God. They've said that to a world that wants really nothing to do with God, and they've said, just do these things and everything will be fine. And then for decades, we've sat, the church, we being the church, has kind of sat and said, like, I can't believe this has been going on. It's time for it to stop. And and the reality is, even if it ends, it's not going to really stop, because if somebody wants one, they're going to find it. And more than anything, it's just going to be done in unsafe ways, which is very unfortunate. And it's not that it's okay, not that it's a justification, but it's just, it's going to keep happening. And so the important thing is some of those next steps for us as the church. Okay, so then how are you going to step up and help them? If you're going to tell her, you're going to tell this young woman that she can't abort this baby, which I think you're 100% right in saying that. But if you're going to tell her that, then what are you going to do to help her? What are you going to do to help her when it's year two and she just doesn't want to do this anymore um, or whatever? She feels like her life has been completely taken away from her because of one simple choice. And, you know, I think to just say, well, then don't make that choice. I, I mean, I get it, but I also, she doesn't get it. Um, or maybe even the few, like the percentage of cases that it was done to her it was not something that she did. You mentioned foster care. And so, which kind of just kind of segues into this next question, like talk about your perspective with foster care and adoption and maybe what that should look like in the church. Yeah. Well, not everyone's called to foster and adopt because not everyone has the capacity to love in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I wish and I hope that the church could train people, um, disciple people really with the effect of loving, of loving people more than you love yourself. Um, and the only reason why I've always been drawn to foster care is because I lost my mom. And so I know what it's like to lose a parent and how traumatic and devastating it is to feel like an orphan and like you don't belong anywhere. So because I have that trauma in myself, I have such a heart for other children who are experiencing what I experienced. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if my mother hadn't died. I don't know if I'd feel this way about it because um, it's just a natural, um, you know, it's just a, a natural place for my heart to be. Um, but I would love to see the church, the heart of the church just break for the kids who are essentially ripped away from their families, have nowhere to go. And that we would be discipled in such a way that we would be safe places for these kids, um, to be brought up and ministered to and, and discipled as well. There are so many kids who have, disruptive behaviors because of the trauma that they've had and the parenting that they've had before they go into foster care. And I I understand why people don't want to do it because it's, it's really hard work. Um, But on the other hand, I, it's hard for me to get around how easy it is to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent because the state Mm -hmm. literally pays for everything and they make it so easy. They give you all this training, they give you all the support. Um, you, You think about, how many people move to other countries, underprivileged countries, to be missionaries, and they have no support, and how incredible that is. 
Um, but we can be missionaries right here in our backyards with tons of support. <laughs> so yes. to me, it's kind of like a no brainer. I'm so proud of my church because the last year they've launched a foster care initiative and they're now doing tons of foster care trainings and trying to get everyone on board with serving the community in this way. And mm. I'm so proud and so excited about it because I haven't seen a church that I've been a part of do that. Um, and that's been really cool. And I've been able to be a part of that a little bit. Um, but I can say from firsthand experience of being a foster parent that it's really hard. And without that, without my heart being so um, passionate about these kids who are ripped away, like, I don't know if I would be able to continue doing it because it's really hard. I'm not saying it's hard. Yeah. I'm not saying it's easy. Um, but that's why as disciple makers, we have to disciple people's hearts to grow beyond what's normal um, to be able to have space to shelter people in need because it is such a huge inconvenience to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the inconvenience, um, you know, that's where the holiness comes in. It's like, Oh, I'm so inconvenienced by this. But the fact that, you know, you stay committed to that kid despite how hard it gets. And then mm -hmm. when they do end up going home, you just, you get that sense of like, okay, this little kid, brought so much love, joy, passion to my life that I would not have had mm. otherwise. Look how God used yes, this child man. to minister to my family. Like, see, when you look back, it's like, oh my gosh, I see how God you moved there and how God moved there and like how God changed me there and like how this little girl experienced so much love in, in this way here. Like, you know, it's just, it's really cool to see God move despite the challenges. And, um, so yeah, the foster care and adoption thing, I'm super passionate about. I'd love to see more people in the church do it. Um, obviously, it's not for the faint of heart. And right. there is a lot of training and education that goes into it because you really can um, aggravate and re-traumatize a child if you don't understand like what's going on. Um, so, mm -hmm. but yeah, but all the training's there for us and it's all available. So it's one of those things where if you have the space in your home or your heart to do it, like definitely explore the options and, and see if God can like open that door for you and for your family. Hmm. Not you, Jared, exactly. but like people in general. <laughs> I know no, you're, I know totally you're passionate about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I'm definitely super passionate about it. Obviously that's how we met, but yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we, my wife and I just said, we've talked extensively about it and are excited about the opportunity in the near future of like beginning that journey. And I think one of the things that I just kind of hesitated because it's something I've wanted to do foster or adopt and or both, I should say, but one of the kind of fleshly, I should say that like, or maybe even selfish tendencies is like have this kid for a little while and then they get taken to another place or whatever happens, something happens. And, you know, my wife, tends to have like all of the wisdom and like hits me with it when I need it most. And she's just kind of like, well, it's really no different than like biological children and you will have them for as long as God allows you to have them. And nobody likes to think like that because of course we don't like to think mm -hmm. that we won't have our children forever. But the reality is you will have them for as long as God allows you to have them. Mm -hmm. um, and we will show the love of Christ to them while they are in our home and whatever happens happens, but we're just going to trust God in that whole thing. And that's, that's definitely, it's, 
exciting and it's also a little bit scary. And like you said, just, it's not, it's not easy. It's not light work. It's, it's a very hard, but it's definitely something that is needed and would love for more Christians for more families to step up and see um, an increase in that just because the, the number of children in the foster care system is not going down anytime soon. Right. But the number of, you know, the number of families that are going to be able to step in and, and do something that's going to need to go up. Yes. And there are so many foster families who take too many kids because there aren't enough foster families, you know, mm-hmm. and it would be amazing if the church had people just waiting in the wings to like take kids. Um, yes. So that way other families wouldn't be overwhelmed. And the other thing too, that I think I, I didn't even mention, but it's such a huge part is like being able to minister to and love on the parents of the foster kiddos mm-hmm. because they're often kind of villainized and seen as like, like the bad guy or the bad girl. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, what did you do to get your kid taken away? And I, I feel like they're looked down upon by, yes. by society. <laughs> um, but most of the, most of the people who lose their kids, you know, they have a story too. <laughs> and right. their stories are often gut wrenching mm-hmm. and, as soon as you hear the stories and you get to know these people, you realize that they're normal people who had a really tough time and a really tough life and that they themselves are actually doing their best with what they have. Mm -hmm. Um, And my relationship with my foster kiddos, mom and dad really impacted me um, because I was so taken back by how much they loved their daughter, how much Mm -hmm. they wanted her back how hard her mom worked to get her back. It was just so sad, but also so beautiful. Um, I was so inspired by her mom, you know, Mm -hmm. she really inspired me. And to think of everything that she's been through and the fact that she's still pushing and working hard and doing her very best. You you just don't think about that when you think about foster care, you know? Um, and I've actually been praying about how to advocate for bio parents more because if they can become healthy and sustainable, then we, won't, we wouldn't have a foster care adoptive um, crisis in our country. Right, absolutely. Um, if, you know, if they could care for their kids and have, have a home for them, like we wouldn't have mm-hmm. this crisis. And so we, we do focus on the kids a lot, which is so good, obviously, but to bring it around back to the parents um, is super healthy too, because they love their kids. You know, they don't want their kids taken. Most of them don't want their kids taken away. Right. Yeah. That's really good. It was not planned this way, but it sure has seemed like these questions have just kind of flowed into the next one. Um, But we've just kind of been talking about children and like the next generation, which kind of brings me to this question. Um, and for context, like my wife and I, we have the incredible privilege of, we have ministered to teenagers. We currently get to minister to college students and young adults. What type of advice would you give the next generation of Christian leaders and followers of Jesus? They're trying to navigate a, and I use the word turbulent because I think that's probably the best way to say it. Um, like a social landscape, rising fads, tolerance, all these different things. Like what's some advice you can give them? without them losing sight of the gospel. Hmm. 
Wow. I think, um, you know, the Bible, throughout the entire biblical narrative, we see faith being the thing that makes a person righteous or saved. Um, and faith in God means you're not placing your faith in man, right? It's like, if you're placing your faith in God, you're, you're choosing to not place your faith in other things. And when I think about discipleship with young people, that's the first thing that comes to mind is completely letting go of all the faith you have in your personal desires that are attached to the world, um, mm -hmm. whether that be popularity or success or a lot of followers on Instagram, like looking a certain way, um, you know, all of that stuff has got to fall away. Um, and then faith must be attached instead to the person of Christ. And Colossians is such a good book, but it really dives into that, like attaching to the person of Christ, having a Christocentric perspective um, all the time. And rather than focusing so much on social issues, which I know social issues are so important, so I'm not trying to say they're not important that we shouldn't think about them. Um, I really feel like when you start to just focus your eyes on Christ, everything else kind of falls into place because your mm -hmm. disordered desires are now reordered and you now see people as Christ sees them. And he sees every single person as someone he loves and wants to bring into his family. And so that kind of erases all of the, separation that we have in our culture based on politics or gender or sexuality or image or whatever it is that separates us from others. When you see them through the lens of Christ, all the stuff that separates you really does fall away. And I feel like that's the healing balm that we need in order to survive in this turbulent time, because it is really hard to be a Christian right now. I think it's especially hard to be having having one foot in the world and then one foot with walking with Christ. It's like, you really can't, um, you're going to trip and fall. And so it's like getting yourself completely focused on the Lord will then give you the words to speak in a conflict, in a conflict um, or an argument or a debate or in a situation where someone calls you a bigot or whatever. Um, it'll give you that seasoned language in order to communicate with them in a way that's spiritual. Uh, because when you only deal with people on the surface, you're going to um, struggle with navigating everything because it's just too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and some Christians have all the answers and I I'm not that way though. Um, so I don't have all the answers. Every time I talk to someone who's totally different from me, I have to come in with the perspective of like, I need to learn from this person. And then yeah. if I have a humble attitude towards them, maybe they'll want to learn from me too. I know a lot of Christians don't see it that way, but that's kind of how, that's kind of how I see it at least. <laughs> no, what about really you, Derek? What, what do you think? Cause that's, that's a really deep, deep question. And you actually work with young people. I, I used to work with young people. I was in youth ministry for 10 years, but I haven't been in youth ministry now 
for over three years. So I feel kind of disconnected from young people, to be honest. No, I totally understand. What <laughs> I have learned is that it's, it's, and it's something I've had to change as well, but I want my loudest message to be about Christ. I want it to be about the gospel. And you mentioned like, it's not wrong to get involved with social things or to have an opinion about it or to engage in conversation and discussion about it, but learn those different perspectives, understand what you believe from the Bible, but let, let who Christ is, let the gospel, let that be your loudest message. I think because the, the tendency is for people to, to lean into this other thing and think that maybe I will win them to Christ if I win them to this particular argument. If I win this conversation or this debate, then I will have an open door to tell them about Jesus. And the reality is, if you just tell them about Jesus, that kind of fixes everything else in time. Yeah. Or at the end of the day, more accurately, I should say, it's not on you to fix it. It's just you are presenting the gospel to them. You're presenting the person of Christ to them and you are loving them in a way that reflects the love of Christ and it helps them to see like, okay, well there, maybe there is something to this. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't need every person I talk to, to agree with the political party that I agree with or to, to see this thing this way. What I, what I want you to see is I want you to see Jesus for who he is. I want you to see the sacrifice he's made for you, the, the freedom and the eternal life that you can have because of him. Like, I want you to see that well before I want you to see anything else. Yeah, that's so good. I feel like that's the message that that people need to hear, um, especially as things become more politically charged. And I remember when the last presidential election was going on, it just felt like everyone was on high alert, like all the time. And in my small groups that I was leading, like it was just, people were stressed, you know? And yeah. I think oftentimes we can become so wrapped up in what we're stressed about. And even in my small group, I mean, everyone voted for different people. It's not like we're all the same or anything, um, but everyone was stressed for their own reasons. And I know that it's especially volatile for, for young people right now. Um, especially if they even call themselves a Christian, they're automatically going to be looped in with like all these things that might not yeah. even necessarily apply to them. Um, so it's like a really challenging time to be young and figuring things out. And um, so I think that's really good. It's, it's hard to do, you know, keeping the focus on Christ is probably the hardest thing we're called to do because we're mm -hmm. so easily distracted. Um, but, you know, building those rhythms and routines that constantly redirect you is, is what saves, that's what saves me at least. Yeah. It's like, okay, you know, eight hours ago I was in the word and now I totally am like somewhere else, but guess what? Tomorrow morning I'll be in the word again. Like I'll be redirected. Yeah, yeah that's really good. Um, well, as we wrap this up, do you have anything else that you would like to share? Maybe a closing thought or something that you've read recently that's just stood out to you? Hmm. Yeah, well, recently I've been really challenged by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Last week I read about 
Jacob wrestling with God and he, he wrestles with God before he thinks he's going to die. And he's struggling because he wants God's blessing and um, he doesn't want to die. He wants God's blessing. And so he wrestles and wrestles and wrestles and God tells him, will you please let me go? I want to be done wrestling. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And that passage always kind of bugged me up until this point. I think I always thought of Jacob as just this really annoying, kind of deceitful, entitled guy. And yeah. I never really connected with him. He never resonated with me. But recently, I when I read that passage, it really struck me um, just how much God wants to partner with us and mm -hmm. how important it is that we pursue God literally to the point of it's like, God, I will not let go until you show up, until you reveal this to me, until you help me understand, until you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. having that energy and that focus, I think God loves that. And um, at least he loved that with Jacob. Jacob was like, I'm not letting go till you bless me. And so he renames Jacob, he calls him Israel and he blesses him. Um, and it's just, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. And that's really been sticking with me because I need to have more faith. It's, it's the, it's the faith aspect of knowing that God wants me to pursue him and look at him as my true father. You know, we ask our parents for things when we need help and when we need stuff. Um, and it's not like material stuff, but it's like, it's like deep spiritual stuff. Like, no, right. I need you to show up in this way. Like you're my dad. Like, you need to do this for me and exactly. um and think not not in an entitled way but in like a truly faith way like a desperate way of like I, you're the only person who can do this so i'm giving it all to you and i need you to show up and that's kind of where i'm at right now i'm trying to teach myself to be vulnerable like that because i'm not a naturally vulnerable person i'm very independent i want to do everything myself like i don't need help so learning to ask God for that help in a vulnerable way is what I'm learning. And so um, if anyone struggles with that as well, like the independence thing, the pride thing, I encourage you to read Jacob's story and <laughs> learn how to wrestle with God. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really good. That's really, um, that's really helpful. Um, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Um, just carving out this time to visit with us and to just engage in this conversation. We've covered a lot and I'm super excited about it. I hope and trust and believe that um, our listeners have been helped by it. And so thank you again for just being willing to join us in this space. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Derek. My prayer is that you have been helped by this time together today. Thank you again to Beth for taking the time to join us for this conversation. Be sure to check out her Instagram again at simply underscore Bible. That's at simply underscore Bible. I know it'll be an encouragement to you. If you've listened today and you would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian, maybe you're skeptical of it, or maybe you're seeking just to find answers, that's a really good place to be. Either way, I want to encourage you to reach out to me. In just a moment, I'll let you know a few ways that you can connect with me. I can promise you that you will always be met with love and with grace for wherever you are in life. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, tell me about it. 
You can connect with me by email at remindersofgracepodcast at gmail.com. That's reminders with an S of gracepodcast at gmail.com. In the show notes, you can find a link to our website as well as my socials if you would like to connect that way. If you could do me a favor and be sure to leave a review on whatever platform you engage with the content and then click on that subscribe or follow button to be certain that you never miss an episode. Until we meet here again as you head into your week, as you navigate your journey, as you face whatever you face, or as you seek to live on mission, be reminded of his grace. And know that it is always, no matter what, every single time, greater still.